if you're not ready for Christmas now, something's wrong with you. But uh, anyway, wow, that was really, really good. Thank you for all of those folks that participated with us uh, today. Well, if you got your Bibles, find uh, the Gospel of Luke. And in just a few minutes, we're going to be over in Luke chapter 2. But before we get there, let me tell you this little story that I think is quite appropriate uh, for today. It all happened at a little church called St. Nicholas in the Alps of Austria, and it was the year 1818. And a 23-year-old priest had just been assigned to be the assistant priest at that particular church. His name was Joseph. That's a good name for a preacher, don't you think? Good name for a priest. Joseph Moore was his name. And while he was there serving at St. Nicholas, he became a really good friend of the organist, which is good because you want your staff to be friendly, right? So he was really friendly there with the organist. And the organist had a really cool name as well, Franz. Franz Gruber. I like how I say that. Franz Gruber was his name. And Franz Gruber, the organist, and the assistant priest there named Joseph became really good friends. And they were talking about the Christmas season because the Christmas season is really big in church. And, uh, and we started planning Christmas and Diane started planning Christmas. We were talking about Christmas several, several weeks ago, if not even months ago. And it's back, especially when it comes to the sermon series that we're in, man, I started planning that uh, some time ago as well. So they were talking about the Christmas season and you wouldn't believe what they talked about. One of the things they talked about was this. They didn't think there was any great hymn that they could sing at Christmas. Now, I know there was probably some really good hymns they could sing at Christmas, but in in their opinion, and y'all know how that is, everybody's got an opinion, right? Everybody's got an opinion. It's too warm in here, it's too cold in here, it's too dark in here, it's too bright in here, so on and so forth. Y'all know what I mean? We probably don't talk that way up here, but there's churches that do that. Everybody's got an opinion. Well, they had an opinion, and in their opinion, there was not really a good Christmas song or hymn for any of them to be singing here at Christmas. So, um... (laughs) That was the gist of their discussion for a while. So Joseph is getting his message ready, and he's in his study, and he's in his study, and he's working away. He's praying. He's searching the scriptures as to what he can uh, preach to the crowd that's going to be at their annual Christmas Eve service. Y'all know what time their Christmas Eve service started? Midnight. Y'all up for that? Don't raise your hand because I'm not, okay? But their Christmas Eve service started around midnight, and he's in there preparing when Franz comes in, He's panicky, he's out of breath, and when he catches his breath, he says these words, the organ won't play. The organ won't play. (laughs) And that's a big deal, especially when that's your only instrument that you had there. And what had happened was mice were in the church, (laughs) and the mice had gnawed upon the bellows of the organ, and they chewed it up so much so that the organ just wasn't producing any type of sound. So Joseph, being the preacher, said, well, do the best with what you have. And, and God to be honored, God to be glorified. So all day long, this is Christmas Eve now, all day long, Franz is working on the organ and he's probably having a come to Jesus moment because nothing's working on this organ. So while he's slaving away in the church there, working on that organ, what Joseph is doing is, he, is he's walking throughout the snow, he's seeing church members, he's seeing church family, he's taking them food, he's taking them clothes and all of that stuff. And when he comes back, as he's making his way back, he's thinking about, I wonder what it was like the night that Jesus was born. And and he can, I don't know if your imagination is like mine, but his imagination was just kind of running wild. And he started thinking of a particular poem. Some words were coming to his mind. And as much as he could, he put those words into his memory so that when he got back into his study, he wrote them down as fast as he can. And that's when Franz came back in again. It's like the organ 
We're just not going to have it for the Christmas Eve service. And Joseph said, well, hey, no, no fear. Here's some words I put down on paper. Why don't you take this guitar over here? Dan did a great job, didn't he? Well, I was really glad he was singing with me because I was fretting singing melody on Silent Night. But, um, but, but Joseph says, Franz, you take this guitar over here and just come up with a tune to this poem that I wrote here. And he did that. And they sang Silent Night for the first time at that Christmas Eve service. And let me tell you an extended version of that. Um, An extended version goes like this. Finally, in the spring, the organ repairman finally shows up at church. And when the organ repairman shows up at church, he repairs the organ. And and Joseph says, hey, Franz, why don't we sing that song, uh, Silent Night? And they didn't even call it Silent Night back then. Let's sing this song. Uh, for the organ repairman. And the organ repairman thought that's one of the most beautiful songs he's ever heard. And he asked for a copy. This is before Xerox machines. And he asked for a copy. And whenever he went to different little churches and parishes, he would give them a copy of this song. And everybody loved it so much, they called it the heavenly song. Dave, you probably knew that, didn't you? But they called Silent Night originally the heavenly song. And since then, it's been translated into about just about every language that's out there so that people like us on seasons like today can sing silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is what? Bright, yeah. So your Bibles ought to be open to Luke chapter two. And what I wanna do this morning is talk about that silent, holy night when Jesus was born. I wanna talk about the night that God took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. I wanna talk about the night when heaven came down in the form of a babe. Now, before we gloss over, or before we read this text, don't gloss over, all right? Because you know this text. If you've been in church in any length of time, you've seen little kiddos up on stage and they act out this text. Um, We're gonna be reading this text even at our Christmas Eve service that starts not at midnight, but at five o'clock, all right? So we're gonna be reading this text even then, but, but don't gloss over it. Because we know it so well, sometimes we do gloss over this particular text. I, I love how Linus from the Charlie Brown Christmas special reads it. So, so, but, but if you want to think about that, you can. But, but just know that this is God's word for you today. This is what I really feel like God would have us to zero in on when we look at his word. So, so, so don't gloss over it. Look at it with fresh eyes if you can. Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us today. 
And Lord, I pray that you might speak into our hearts. May they be soft, speak into our minds, Lord. Lord, we want to see you um, anew today. We want to see this Christmas story uh, fresh, if you will. So Lord, have your way, uh, not only in this place, but in our hearts and in the hearts of those that are joining us online. Uh, we thank you for them uh, as well. So Lord, speak to us. We pray in your precious, most holy name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Hey, we sing the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, but, but here's what I often wonder. Was it really a silent night? <laughs> I mean, I don't really think it was all that silent of a night. I mean, think about where they were. I mean, if you can just think about where they were, I mean, they were out with all these animals, and y'all know when you try to sleep, animals aren't quiet, are they? I mean, they're, they're just not. I mean, I've got animals all the time that kind of keep me up at night. If I don't have my fan going just to create some type of noise, I hear dogs barking galore. And I really don't think it was all that silent of a night because you got all those animals snorting and making all those sounds that only animals can make. And then I think about, I think about Mary. I mean, gosh, she's just a, a mere teenager and she's about to, to give birth. And ladies, there's no modern medicine. There's no epidurals. I don't think she was all that silent. In fact, I don't think Joseph was all that silent. I think she was just a gripping his hand so much that he was hurting and he's a carpenter, he's tough. So I don't really think she was all that silent. And then you hear the, the cries of the newborn. Jesus, you know, what baby's ever silent? And then you think of the heavenly host that just appeared. When I was reading that text, I thought, how cool it'd be for to turn around and see all the singers that were up here a few minutes ago on the stage. So all the heavenly hosts showed up and they started singing, glory to God in the highest. And it really wasn't a silent night. I don't know about you, but I really don't think it was all that silent. But guess what? I really think with all my heart, it was a holy night. Yeah, parts of it might have been silent, but more than anything, it was a holy night. Now that word holy means different things in, in scripture. Surely it means to be set apart. It means to be completely different. It means to be completely different than anything else. So when the Bible says that God is holy, know that God really is holy. <laughs> and he, he set apart from you and from me. There's no one like him. There's no one like our God. There, there's no one that compares to his holiness. There's no one that compares to his righteousness. No one that compares to his character and to his purity. He is really set apart. And that's who we serve. So God is holy. And this night when Jesus was born, was holy as well. And I just want to share with you several reasons why it was such a holy night. Number one, it was holy because a promise had been kept. I mean, aren't you glad that our God's a promise keeper? Amen. Hey, God really is a promise keeper there. And on this holy night when Jesus was born, God kept a promise that he made centuries before. One of the things that proved that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, is all the prophecies that he fulfilled. I mean, he just didn't fulfill one of them or just a couple of them. He fulfilled hundreds of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, Jesus, our Lord, fulfilled. Now, here's what skeptics out there would say. There were skeptics that lived back then. There's skeptics that live even now, right? And, and, and these skeptics sometimes, well, they, they try to be all logical and go all Spock on us, if you like Star Trek and all that. And, and they got all these different reasons as to how all these prophecies could have been fulfilled. They say, ah, oh, Jesus was just a very smart man. He orchestrated it all. Can I tell you something? There are things that we can orchestrate in our life, but I don't know of any person in this room or anyone I've ever met that can orchestrate the times and the circumstances surrounding their birth. But Jesus did. 
Look at verse 3. So they all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee. Galilee was a different region there in the country. They came out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, which is another region, to Bethlehem, which is where he's from. He's got family, rather, in Bethlehem. And by the way, I bet they knew he was coming. Can can I just go off on a tangent, if you will? And and I know it's kind of late. You got to get up and walk around. Hey, I'm cool with that. But come back. All right, we're not going to let you out the far doors, but you can come back in. But let me just go off on a tangent here. Uh, you got to feel for, for Mary and Joseph. I mean, they're devout Jews, <laughs> but they're also living in an area that's occupied by Rome. And Rome says, hey, we're going to have a census. And guess what? If you're going to be a part of this kingdom, you're going to have to go to the town from where you're, you're going to have to go like Joseph to Bethlehem. So, so there's Joseph and Mary, and, and they're devout Jews, but at the same time, they're living under the authority of the Roman government. So what do they do? They go to Bethlehem. And that didn't sit well with people that were to the far right to really, really being devout. Somebody like Peter. You know, Peter was just a, he was so devout. And that wouldn't have sit well with somebody like Peter. Then on the other hand, you got somebody like Matthew, who's a Jew, but he's also a tax collector. And as a Jew and as a tax collector, who's he working for? He's working for Rome. And isn't that kind of a God thing? Isn't that kind of cool how when Jesus calls his disciples 30 years later, he calls Matthew and he calls Peter. Uh, Peter so devout in his faith as a follower of Judaism, as a Jew. And then you got Matthew here, who's a Jew as well, but he's working for Rome. And he puts all those two guys together. And it's like, get along. That's like, that's like saying Democrats and Republicans in Washington, get along for the best of our country. So anyway, that's just a tangent. But they knew he was coming. And I really believe that the rumors of Mary being pregnant had gone all the way to Bethlehem and to his kinfolk. So when they were coming for the census, you think they wanted anything to do with them? I don't think so. So they left Bethlehem, or they they leave Nazareth, and they travel to Bethlehem because he's of the house and lineage of David. So they're traveling about 70 to 80 miles and it's all on foot. <laughs> Wouldn't we be out of breath if we're traveling that great of a distance? So just in these verses that I've shared with you, we see a God that keeps his promises, even when it relates to the promise of Jesus' birth. Centuries before, God had made a promise through the prophet Nathan. We read about it in Second Samuel that the Messiah will come through the house and through the line of David. And then God said through the prophet Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and she would bear a son and she would call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And again, that was a promise fulfilled through Mary. Then God said through the prophet Micah that Jesus is going to be born in Sheraw. I'm just making sure y'all are with me. He didn't say that. Bethlehem. All right. So you got to be on your game when you're listening to a guy that talks fast. All right. Yeah, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And then we see that God moved Joseph all the way from Nazareth and, and caused the census to be taken so that Joseph would be found there in Bethlehem with Mary, all because God could keep the promises that he made. And I tell you something, we serve a promise-keeping God. And he loves you so much, he will move heaven and earth so that you might have a relationship with him. That's how much God loves you. We read these words over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, was not, a, was not yes and no, but in him 
Everything was yes. And then we continue reading Paul writing to the church there in Corinth, uh, in Corinth. For all the promises of God are in him are yes. And in him, they're amen to the glory of God through us. So the Bible says that all the promises of God, they're all answered yes in Jesus. I like to think of it this way. Jesus is God's yes man. All the promises that God made, they're all fulfilled there in Jesus. It was a holy promise kept. I mean, get this. This is like God saying, I promise to be with you so you never have to be afraid. And Jesus says, yes, Lord, that, amen to that. And God says, I promise to guide you. I'll never leave you alone. I will promise to deliver you. And, and, and again, Jesus says, yes, yes. God says, I promise to subdue your enemies. I will hear you when you call me. I will bless you. And Jesus, I can just hear him saying, yes, yes, yes. God would say, no calamity will ever overtake you. I will give you power over the weak. Blessed is the man who trusts in me. And can't you hear Jesus saying to all three of those things? Yes, yes, and Yes, yeah, y'all are with me there. And, and then I can hear God saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And I can hear Jesus being God's yes man saying, yes. And then I can hear God saying, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, I can hear Jesus saying, I think he's going holiness there. Yes, I think he raises his hand with that one. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. And I can hear Jesus saying, Yes. <laughs> you get the picture. God is Jesus. Yes, man. Every promise of God is fulfilled in him. At his birth, even at his birth, Jesus fulfilled God's promise. I heard about a grandmother that was, um, she had 12 grandchildren. You're thinking, wow, that doesn't happen to this day and time. Yeah, we got four kids. Tina's sister has five. So Tina's mother has nine grandchildren. But yeah, it can happen pretty easily, you know. So I think about this grandmother that had, she had 12 grandchildren and just time got, you know, time was fast approaching Christmas holidays. She didn't know she was going to be able to go see them. So many of them were scattered here, there, and everywhere across America. So she thought, well, you know, I really don't have time to, to, to buy every single one of those grandchildren a gift that I think would be from my heart. So I'll just give them money. Ain't nothing wrong with that, right? Right, kids? Nothing wrong with that. So she wrote every one of her grandchildren a check for $100. That's a lot of money for a grandmother like that to do. That's a lot of money for her to pay. But she, 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 gave, she wrote them all a check for $100. She, she, she got a Christmas card. She addressed it to them. And then she signed the Christmas card like this. And I think it's really sweet. This Christmas, buy yourself something for Christmas. Love, Grandma. And she sealed the envelopes and she mailed them. A few days later, she's sitting at her desk and she realizes, I've got 12 checks. I have not put it in envelopes. Y'all get it. They're thinking, what? So when, her, when her precious grandchildren got an envelope, a Christmas card from their, mother, from their grandmother, they read this. This Christmas, buy yourself something for Christmas, love, Grandma. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, we really have some good intentions, but we make promises we can't keep. But our Heavenly Father keeps His promises. And they're all fulfilled in Jesus. So that's one reason why it was holy. But another reason that it was such a holy night was because a holy child was born. I hope you got your Bible still open. Uh, look at verses 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Luke was a doctor. 
Uh, he was a physician, and he uses ordinary language so that we can understand. Y'all ever sit with doctors, and, and you're thinking after they talk to you, what? So he, he uses some language that we can understand. And he said, the time came for her to be delivered. In other words, she began to have contractions, ladies, for those of you that have been pregnant before. And, and those contractions are increasing in regularity. They're increasing in, in intensity. So this baby's about to be born. So then Luke tells us she brought forth her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Uh, that's what they did then. And guess what? It's what we do now. You know, they take that little baby that's born in the hospital room, they clean him or her up, and they wrap that little baby in cloths, and they're like this, aren't they? Tight as can be. Why do they do that? To keep them warm so that they might feel protected. Mary did the exact same thing. But then we see that she did something quite unusual. She laid him in a feeding trough. I don't think anybody I know would have ever done that to their baby. From an earthly perspective, from an earthly perspective, this was a normal birth, but from a heavenly perspective, it was extraordinary. From an earthly perspective, they had been waiting nine months, but from a heavenly perspective, God had been waiting from eternity past to send his son. It was all part of God's plan, all part of God's providence. From an earthly perspective, this was just a little baby boy born to a poor, poor family living in a poor place, but from a heavenly perspective, this baby was Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he left the throne room of glory to come to earth. From an earthly perspective, this baby was weak. This baby was very vulnerable. This baby was helpless. But from heaven's perspective, this baby is the great I am. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's got more power in the, in the joint there of his pinky finger than, than in all the universe. That mankind says, we've got power. <laughs> Jesus got more power just in that joint there. From an earthly perspective, this baby was born to live, but, but from a heavenly perspective, he was born to die a sacrificial death for you and for me. And the Bible says he was a holy child that was born. We read this text over in Corinthians again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Think of it this way. Jesus left the very best and came to the poorest place to live a humble life, to die an excruciating, even a humiliating death, and he did it all for you. A man, um, brand new daddy, was holding his, his first child in his arms, and he was ecstatic. We, many of us have been there, right? First time you see your, your firstborn son. And he's holding his son in his arms. He gives him back to his wife. And he calls his mother, a new grandmother that couldn't be there at the birth. And he gives her all the rundown. Y'all know how some people are. I'm not really that way. But he tells his mom, the new grandmother, this is how long he is. This is how much he weighed. By the way, this is his name. Yes, mother, he's got ten fingers. He's got ten toes. You know, he, he just looks perfect. And he heard his mama say this, for the first time in your life, son, you know how much I love you. Then she said this. This is good. Until you know what it's like to love your own child, you'll never know how much your parents really love you. And then secondly, son, now you really know how much God loves you. He loved you so much, he gave his only begotten son for you. See, a birth changes everything. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that if you might believe in him, 
You'll never perish but have everlasting life. So it was a holy night. It was a holy child that was born. But then another reason we can rejoice is that a holy message was sent. Y'all still with me? Say amen if you are. All right. Yeah, a holy message was sent. Look at verses 8 and 9. Now, there were in the same country shepherds, and shepherds were outcasts. They were living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So the scene really drastically shifts here, and we find, we find ourselves in the hills of Bethlehem, in the shepherd's fields, and they're still there to this day. You ever really wondered why shepherds? I mean, why didn't, why didn't you go to preachers? <laughs> You know, why didn't he go to church people, to kings, rather, or to scribes? Here's why. He went to the shepherds because the shepherds, to me, represent those that are far, far away from him. Shepherds were the outcasts. If shepherds were to come into a restaurant that we might be going to in a little while, uh, the restaurant probably wouldn't let them in. That's how much of an outcast they were in that society. But the Bible says the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. I think I would be too. And then the angel said to them, do not fear for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is going to be for all the people for there's born for you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, what a message. The shepherds of all people heard. Then look at verse 12. And this is going to be a sign. So they must not, the angels might have thought, maybe they're not really intellectually, you know, smart there. So the angels are saying, I'm, I'm having fun with that, all right? So the angels say, hey, this is going to be a sign. You're going to find this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Don't, don't miss that. That is the sign for the shepherds because there are a lot of babies, I'm sure, that were born in Bethlehem around that time. But the sign... Well, she'll find him lying in a manger. I don't know of any woman, any mother, any brand new mother placing their baby in a place that animals have put their snouts. And we like to think of it as, 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 as something that a carpenter would build that we would place baby Jesus in. In all likelihood, if they were in a cave, it was just a hewn out place on the floor there, in the ground. A place where animals there again would, would feed. Now, here's a question. Don't answer, but here's a question for you. Is a manger a good thing or a bad thing? Just ponder that. Is a manger a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I think God used a bad thing like a manger for our good because that's who God is. He takes bad things in our life and he makes them good. And, 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 and God used a, a manger, a place that animals would feed and stuff like that, and turned it into a place of beauty because that's where Jesus was born. And let me just say this, and I really hope if you hear me say anything today, this might be it. God can take the mangers in your life, the bad places, the bad memories, the things that you've done in the past, and he can make them beautiful. If you just come to him. Look at verse 15 and 17. The shepherds said to each other, let's go. Let's see this thing that the angels have told us about. So Jesus, there again, wasn't the only baby that was born in Bethlehem, but they found him because he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And when they saw him, y'all see what the Bible says? Because this is so cool. This is the biblical pattern that we see here in the Christmas story. When they saw him, the biblical pattern is that you come and see and then you go and tell. When they saw him, they then made widely known the saying that was told to them. So not only did they come to Jesus, they went and told others about Jesus. Isn't that cool? 
That's when you say yes, because I really think it's cool. Because he doesn't want just to come and he doesn't want us just to come and worship him. He wants us to go out and tell others that he was born for them as well. He wants the whole world to worship. He wants the whole world to be saved. <laughs> so it was a holy night because a promise had been kept, because a holy child was born, because a holy message was about to go out. And then last but not least, a holy mission was accomplished. There again, going back to a sermon from a few weeks ago, his very name means God is salvation. Jesus saves. Look at verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And as the angel spoke to the shepherds, an entire host of angels came and they started praising God because the mission was about to begin. The mission will soon be accomplished. God will bring peace between himself and sinful man. You know, the Bible says in Romans 5, verse 8, therefore having been justified by faith, that word justified is a great theological term, but I like to make it a little more simple for simple-minded people like me. So here's a great way you can, you can, you can talk about what the doctrine of justification is all about. Are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm simple, all right? It's just as if I've never sinned, the doctrine of justification. So therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to accomplish all of those goals so that you and I might have a relationship and be at peace with God. Hey, it happened on um, Christmas Eve in 2008 uh, in, in an airfield there in Afghanistan. Uh, Lee Bishop was a psychiatrist and he was a military reservist. And in the dim light of the evening, he noticed a procession of military vehicles approaching the airfield where he was at. And then he watched them carefully unload uh, from a military vehicle and placed into the belly of an airplane, a flag-draped coffin. And he knew at that moment that a family back home in the States would not have a Christmas homecoming that anyone would ever wish. So it really was a heartbreaking scene for him. And he wrote about that in an article in Christianity Today. The article is, is entitled Christmas in Afghanistan. And after he watched that flag-draped casket being loaded into the plane, he said he found himself walking along the main avenue there, the airfield, and, and soldiers were just all over the place celebrating Christmas. Some were holding candles and they were singing carols with gusto. Uh, down the street were luminaries that just brightened the walkway heading into an auditorium where there were groups that were in their tray about to sing you know, Christmas carols and just have a good time. Two blocks away was the chapel and they were getting ready for their six o'clock Christmas Eve service. And he wrote these words. He said, Jesus did not come just to provide an occasion to sing carols. He did not come just for us to have an opportunity to feast and to exchange gifts, but we are right to do these things even as soldiers die and families grieve because Jesus came. And in his coming, he brought joy and peace, the joy that overcomes our sorrows and the only kind of peace that ultimately matters. It's his peace of which the end of all war, wars is merely a token. He goes on to say, it's the peace that means the long war between the heart and its maker is over. It's a peace treaty offered in Bethlehem and signed in blood on Calvary. So Jesus came to accomplish the mission that God had given to him. Was it a silent night? 
Probably not like we imagine, but it really, really was a holy night. A night when a holy God made a way for unholy people like you and me to be with him in a place called heaven one day. Let me ask you to bow your head. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And as we get ready to sing our closing song, and that's a great closing song, uh, I would simply ask you this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You're why he came. You're why he left a place called heaven to walk upon this side. You're that important to him. And more than anything at Christmas, what he would most like for you to do is for you to give him your heart. It doesn't mean that you'll live a sin-free life. We're all sinners and we're all living on this side of eternity. But what it does mean is that one day you get to live with Jesus in eternity because all your sins are forgiven. You've acknowledged what Jesus has done on the cross for you. And if you never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, would you just, would you pray this prayer? We've talked about this. Uh, God promises that if, if you ask, if you receive, he gives you this precious gift called eternal life. So if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, pray, pray a prayer like this and then tell me and Trey afterwards you pray this because we want to make sure we do all we can. This church does all that she can to see you to be discipled in Christ. That prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I admit today that, uh, that my sins will keep me from heaven. But Lord, on this Sunday before Christmas, I realize too that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. I realize that you're the Messiah. And I confess my sins, I confess my need to be right with you. So this morning, I ask you to save me from all of my sins. I receive your gift of forgiveness and gift of eternal life. And Lord, help me until you call me home to live for you and to live for your glory. Still with every head bowed, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed it online, get in touch with us. We want to make sure that we help you follow up with um, what you need to do next and what you need to do next is to be baptized and if you've never been baptized that's your first step of obedience and we'd love to, to help you follow through with that first step of obedience Father um, I know the hour is late I have no idea what you may call upon folks to do this morning whether it's decisions that we make publicly or decisions we just make privately in our heart Lord will you be glorified we pray in Jesus name Amen